<clears throat> All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you in humility. We know who we are, and we also know who you've made us to be by grace. And we thank, thank you, Father, we're very thankful for especially eternal life and taking that concern out of the way for us through the blood of Christ. We ask, Father, that tonight you open our eyes to what you want us to know, teach us what you want us to see, and um, make us help us think like you by faith. Father, most of all, we're thankful for your Son and that you sent him once for all to be our substitute on the cross. We ask that you help us never forget to be grateful for this gift. We ask your blessing upon this message and everyone listening. It's in Christ's precious name we pray, by the power of the Spirit. Amen. The Gospel Salvation and Sanctification, Part 75. Lately, we've seen an emphasis on the Great Commission in our lives, with a balanced statement about the importance of the local assembly and each of us functioning in our gifts and in our portion of faith that we've been given. And God's been reminding us of one simple fact on the board. We need each other. We really do need each other. Um, life has been designed by God this way. As in 1 Corinthians 12, 11, it says, But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as He wills. So this is talking about gifts. And notice again, they're distributed to each one individually. And in verse 27, now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. I mean, the message really is that there's no one like you. There's not one like you. If you want an analogy, think of all the souls in our, uh, souls, listen to me, cells in our body. Uh, we, we don't even know how many cells are in our body. And they're all microscopic, but they're all individual, and they all have a function and a job. And if that's true in our body, how much more true is it in the body of Christ, right? So we're individually members of Christ's body, and we truly do need each other, despite how lowly you look at yourself, okay? And in a sense, that's arrogance. You are very unique, and you are needed in the body of Christ, and you have a special purpose. And that's why the Waltons were so cool. Remember the Waltons? <laughs> it feels like, yeah. That was like Bill and Lois' primetime show. <laughs> 7 p.m., Thursday nights. Let's, let's go. But seriously, that's why the Waltons were so cool. Because God gave family and family members to stick together. And when one fell, the other one was there to pick them up. You know, if you think about it, they had their own congregation. That family was so big, right? And that, what, what was that a picture of? If you want to look at it in the physical realm, a body functioning together. And each had their own unique, whatever, roles and gifts, etc., so God gave us family to stick together and love each other to the end. And that's what we are here. That's what our divine purpose is 
in terms of functioning as a body, and we literally do need each other. Otherwise, we won't be healthy. This body won't be healthy. Uh, people will suffer because other people aren't here or, or willing in humility to operate in their gifts. So your uniqueness reinforces the fact that we need each other. The fact that there's no one like you, even if other people in the church have the same gift as you, there's still nobody like you and in the way that you're going to function in it. Do you remember that verse we read uh, last week about the variety of gifts, variety of effects? Why all this variety being discussed? There's not one way to do anything. You know, as long as it's not against the Word of God, there's a zillion ways to operate in, in your spiritual gift. And you are unique. And don't forget, even your attendance at church is a gift. Don't underestimate that, please. You may not realize it. You may think that's over, an overblown statement. But there's power and effect that comes from our faithful attendance. There's powers and effects that, you, you know, you don't see. There's probably several different benefits to different people in the room in one given night because you're here. I'm not sure what that is, but God knows. And just like we can't measure the power of encouragement, we can't measure the power of attendance and what it does for others, not to mention yourself. So you have something unique to contribute, whether you see it or not is not the issue. And on faith, we accept those kind of facts and those kind of truths. We accept that our flesh cannot understand these things. Stop doubting. Believe that you are unique and you're needed in this body. Just stop the doubting. On faith, we accept the things that our flesh can't understand. However, what our flesh does in its arrogance is what even unbelievers can do, which is rationalize. So we need to be on guard because it sneaks up on us. We come up with reason after reason why we might not be walking by the Spirit why we might not be unique or might not be needed. As Pastor said on Sunday, the flesh hijacks everything good. That's that's a really good statement. I mean, just think about that. The flesh hijacks everything good. All good things are from the Father above. But the flesh conspires to get in there and get in the way of everything good. It really does hijack all the things that God's doing in us. It tries to. And it does this often by rationalizing and justifying. And that leads to doubting instead of faith. Think about the flesh as slippery as a serpent. We call it, pastors call it the bad roommate, right? Think about that little bad roommate on your shoulder as a top defense attorney. How slippery is that kind of attorney, right? We see them on TV, maybe a little exaggerated, maybe a little not. But just think of your roommate that way. Think of your flesh as that sleazy, okay? And that slippery and that sneaky, all right? Because it's not what you think. He's not coming at you the way you think he's coming at you. You don't see, you don't recognize immediately the ways he's coming at you. So if you remember how slippery he is in that way, we can be alert. And always be alert for him leading us away from the faith, okay? That's what he's always trying to do. 
Scripture is our hope against deception. As we read Scripture, we reconcile what we find in our own souls. All right? And as an individual believer, with our own lives to live, we have to go to God for help on this. We have to read Scripture. We have to ask Him to help us reconcile certain things that, that we read, which will be till the day we die. But we have to go to Him on this. And when we have doubts, we have to go to Him. Why am I not walking the, Bible, uh, walking the way the Bible says I should walk? Right? Go to God with that. Why am I not doing this, Lord? Be, be transparent. Why are we sometimes merely hearers that delude ourselves? In James 1. You know, why do we let the flesh... The flesh blah, it's pretty funny. Why do we let the flesh sneak in there, slide in there, and not... Um, uh, be alert for its deceptive ways. You know, think we know what it's doing. We need to be on guard. And we need to go to God with these things. And we need to learn to stop and ask why. Humbly go to God and ask why. And just show me, Lord, you know. Let, let me see the truth. Let me humbly accept the truth that you want to reveal to me right now. It's been on my mind, in my mind a lot how we dismiss the uh, conscience sometimes. We dismiss what he might be convicting of us, uh, in, of, us of in a certain moment. You know what I mean? And we, I, I know I do it, so you know, everyone must do it. Because we have a sin nature. <laughs> everyone has a sin nature. And the sin nature is like, no, that's not really. That's just your stupid voice, right? But the Bible says we have a good conscience. And... We can't ignore when he's giving us something. So we need to learn to stop and ask why. And we need to learn to look in the mirror, as James also said. And we need to agree with God that the mirror is good. You know, when we look in the mirror, it can be painful as well. And that's why we shy away. But the mirror is good. And we must not be afraid to look in the mirror. God already sees it all. He wants us to see it too, so we can be set free. It's that simple. And your flesh doesn't want you to believe that the mirror is good. Your flesh really kicks against that and says you're doing okay. Don't worry about it. So the issue, as the Spirit's been pointing out, is simple. It's faith. Let's go again to Colossians 1, verse 9. And we saw this on Sunday. He's been making quite a point of this faith thing. And how that's the only way to walk correctly with the Lord. Colossians 1.9 For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please Him in all respects bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all power, according to His glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For He rescued us from the domain of darkness, and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, 
in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So in verse 10, we're called to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord and please Him in all respects. And this whole passage is is a very encouraging passage. There's a lot said in this whole passage. God's power is available to us as believers. It's at our spiritual fingertips. But it's only accessed by faith. It's the only thing God accepts, right? How many times was Jesus going from town to town doing miracles? And how many times does it say he healed that person because they had faith? And how many times does it say he stopped doing miracles because people didn't have faith? Faith unlocks the power of God in our lives. And it's simple to have, right? It's a change of perspective. It's, it's humility. It's confessing when we doubt. Have you confessed doubt as a sin lately? Because that's what it is. Anything not of faith is sin in Romans 14, 23. So when you doubt, don't let it run away like it's, like it's okay to doubt. No, nip it in the bud. Confess it and say, you know what, I'm, I'm out of line here. I'm arrogant, and I need to confess this right now, and I'm, I'm ready to go forward by faith. Give me more faith, right? So God's power is at our fingertips, but it's only accessible by faith. So why do we sometimes not use it? Why do we not embrace it and enjoy it for the simple solution that it is? We've seen this the last couple lessons. The answer to the question, why am I not walking in a way that I know is pleasing to God? It's simple. It's a lack of faith. Every time. The remedy is so simple. And I love this. I mean, don't take this for granted right here. Faith comes from hearing, Romans 10, 17, and God gives grace to the humble, James 4, 6. It is that simple to turn back to God when we're out of line and to even ask for more faith, to turn to the Word of God and hear the Word of God. And God gives you more grace because you're being humble by doing that thing. It's not an intellectual doctrinal issue. It's a spiritual humility one. The Spirit's been driving home a simple point for some time as we continue studying experiential sanctification. The way to being sanctified is the same way we took salvation, by faith. By faith, from faith to faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, and it's impossible to tap into His power. But with faith, we have everything, everything at our fingertips. Those are the spiritual giants in Hebrews 11. Spiritual giants, not because of intellect, because of faith. Simple, trusting faith. And we all can do that because it's a gift from God, right? It's not of ourselves. And it's by grace. So we all can have that if we're humble. God desires to rescue us from so many things. There are so many things that we are in bondage to that we don't realize that He desires to set us free from those chains. But the only reason we're not is because we don't Go to Him in faith. We resist. A perspective change is always a moment away, as we've been learning. Even when you're down, especially when you're down, a perspective change 
of changing from doubt to faith, confessing doubt and admitting your arrogance and going to faith, saying, I'm going to believe you, Lord, on this, right? That simple change of perspective can change your whole day and make it count for God. Go again to Hebrews 11.6. That's the beauty of, of faith, isn't it? I mean, God gives it to whoever is humble, whoever wants it. Uh, so, you know, when you're willing to step out of the way and stop trying to earn it or whatever, stop trying to will it, and you just ask Him for it in humility, He can give it to you. Hebrews 11.6, It is uh, without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So this means with faith, it is possible to please God. Just think about that. It is possible for us to please God. That's insane. That that's, uh, should not be something we have the power of, the privilege of. But what more could a child hope for than to truly be able to please his father? You know, if, if <laughs> as a child we go to God, we say, Father, what can we do to please you? And the best answer we could get is that it's by faith you can please me. Right? Because it's, it's simple. And it's by grace we can receive it. He could have said a hundred other things. He says, by faith, just trust me, just believe me, just follow me. And that is so pleasing to your heavenly Father. What could make a, fa- a father smile wider than when his child fully, confidently trusts him? Nothing, right? I mean, I can't fully relate as I don't have any kids, but those of you that have kids, you probably can understand what I'm, what I'm saying there, right? When a child fully, unashamed, you know, boldly trusts you. And that's exactly what God's looking for from us. That's very pleasing to God the Father. So let's review a few quotes we saw on Sunday from McDonald on Hebrews 11.6. No amount of good works can compensate for lack of faith. After all is said and done, when a man refuses to believe God, he's calling him a liar. 1 John 5.10, the one who does not believe God has made him a liar. And how can God be pleased by people that call him a liar? Of course, he can't be. That's reconciling Scripture together right there. And he goes on to say how faith can totally change our perspective. Faith is the only thing that gives God his proper place and puts man in his place too. So we give God the honor he is due when we have faith, right? Just like you give your father proper honor, Right in that authority situation, if you will. We give God proper honor when we have faith. When we doubt, we, we dishonor Him. Right? That makes sense? And we remember how small we are before God. That's the beauty of having faith, too. We remind ourselves our position compared to Him. We give Him honor. We realize the authority we're under, under our Creator. A little more practically stated by C.H. McIntosh on Hebrews 11.6. Faith glorifies God exceedingly 
because it proves that we have more confidence in His eyesight than in our own. Pretty cool statement. We walk by faith, not by sight, right? We walk by faith, not by sight. And if you're going to walk by faith and you can't see, there must be another way of seeing that's provided because you're walking, right? And you're closing your eyes. You're not doing it by sight. So God is providing providing a type of sight to us that is not natural. And we're saying we trust in His eyesight more than our own. We know the Lord sees way better than we do. He knows what's going on behind the scenes. Right? Any situation we go through, any kind of testing, trial, suffering, anything, He knows exactly what's going on around us in the invisible realm and in the visible realm, things we don't see. So we trust His sight. That's what honors God the most. And one last quote from McDonald on Hebrews 11.6. Faith not only believes that God exists, but it also trusts Him to reward those who diligently seek Him. There's nothing about God that makes it impossible for men to believe. The difficulty is with the human will. And actually, I experienced this today uh, personally. I had a chance to witness to an older gentleman who um, was probably agnostic, at at least. And um, this principle came up here in the second half. There's nothing about about God that makes it impossible for men to believe. This man that I was talking to was stubborn, set in his ways. You know, he's saying we can't know that thing, right? And it was an issue of human will. He was smart. He was intelligent. At least he thinks he is. And so he couldn't go there by faith, you see? And what is that? It's human will getting in the way. It's the flesh deceiving him. So this is the point the Spirit's been getting at lately, that we need to get out of our own way and stop doubting. We need to let go of the controls. We need to stop relying on our human will and trust God. We need to drop it. Let go of the wheel. Whatever analogy you want to use. We saw two weeks ago how we all want peace from Christ, right? Who doesn't want God's peace, right? We crave God's peace. And at times we just can't find it, usually when we're doubting in in some area of our lives. So we all want the peace of Christ, but we don't operate in faith. How do we expect to have the peace of Christ when we don't operate in faith? Seriously. I want what you have, but I don't want to take it from you, is what we say. Because faith just receives, right? Faith doesn't do anything. Faith receives the things of God, accepts them. Yet we resist. We don't accept this peace, and we say we want it. We let our minds run with doubts, and before we know it, we're all spun up in our soul about something. And yet he's just asking us to become like a little child again and repent of that doubt and turn to him in humility and he'll give it to us as I was reading pastor's new book on covert arrogance I came across this statement about King Saul when he lived in fear because of the giant Philistine Goliath and here's what it says in in covert arrogance on page 25 Saul's lack of faith in God 
revealed his own arrogance before God. Isn't that the message the last couple of weeks? Doubting is arrogance. Lack of faith is arrogance. That's all it is. It's saying, I don't believe you, God. And was this a big test? Yeah, everyone else failed it except David when they saw the nine-foot giant in front of them. And we'd probably all fail it too. But let's call it what it is, right? Doubting is a sin. It's arrogance. Lack of faith is arrogance. So in that very moment of doubting, you and I can choose to change our perspective and therefore our experience. We can choose to go back to God in faith and humility and confess that doubting. And when we're doubting, as we've been seeing, the ointment we need is the Word of God. We need it every day like our daily food or we starve spiritually. That's the ointment. That's the way out of the trap of doubting. We need the repetition. We need to see the promises over and over again. And then we can begin to be healed. In Revelation 3.18, the Lord said, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed and eye salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. There's a supernatural sight that God wants to give us. He so desires to give us. How does a believer see, though? Well, it's in the word believer, isn't it? He believes. He has faith. You're still in the book of Hebrews, right? Look at Hebrews 11.1 again. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So, in other words, faith is how we see the things of God. And we no longer need to doubt or question things. Faith is a substance. We can actually please our Heavenly Father quite simply by having faith. Again, in Hebrews 11, verse 6, Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is, and He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. So that addresses the big question regarding experiential sanctification again on the board. Why am I not walking in a way that I know is pleasing to God? It is simply a lack of faith. And the solution is simple. Don't complicate it. Don't fight, don't fight against it with your own power. Just go back to the Word, hear it in humility, and let God give you more grace. Let God give you more faith. Again, it's not an intellectual doctrinal issue. It's not you figuring it all out to have faith. It's turning to Him in humility. That's the way we function on a daily basis with God, or we can. Stay humble and keep hearing. Stay humble and keep hearing. Get up and keep walking. That's how we walk. Stay humble and keep hearing. And we got to do it one step at a time, folks. You know, it's been on my heart a lot lately. Just the concept of not quitting. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, I was talking to Andrea there for a second before church, you know, tough day, but coming anyway, fighting through it, walking to church, 
even when you don't feel like it. That's not the issue. There's a great importance to just not stopping your feet going forward. Even if you've got to take baby steps, keep going forward. Keep hearing the Word of God. Keep praying for more faith. That's all, sometimes all we can do, but that's all we need to do because God's the one that then works in our lives, right? When we're humble, He's going to work. He's going to give us more grace. So we need to let Him do that. Get out of the way. Just keep walking forward as, as He simply commanded us. Pastor asked us to consider a uh, first concept, if you will, of the God-man given to us in Scripture and how Jesus became our prototype and our great example of faith. Go to Philippians chapter 2 again, verse 6. How did Jesus become our prototype or our great example of faith? <clears throat> Philippians 2, 6. Who, although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This truly is unfathomable for us to grasp that he humbled himself in this way. For the God-man to humble himself to the point of willful death at the hands of evil creatures that he created. On the board, he humbled himself. It's impossible to fully understand the magnitude of this, truly, yet it's placed in Scripture, reserved for all believers to absorb. How about just sitting there and staring at this verse for five, ten minutes and just absorbing it, not trying to overthink it, just pondering it. You know what I mean? Making it your own. Um, this is really the first step in walking by faith, humility. And he gave us the greatest example possible. When we see humility in the Bible, we see a corresponding faith with it. In Philippians 2, in this verse, the Lord's faith as a man is seen by his obedience, Right? In verse 8, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. And as we've seen in the past, obedience is one of the fruits of faith. So again, whenever we see humility in the Bible, we see some type of corresponding faith, walking in that faith. What greater example of humility could there possibly be than when somebody accepts God's plan for their life, even if it means death? Like Esther in the Old Testament, right? Esther said, if I perish, I perish. I'm going to go to the king to save the people. And I'm putting my life in God's hands by faith. Right? What greater example of humility could there possibly be than to accept God's plan for our lives? Whatever it is. No greater, no greater humility than that. To be willing to walk forward into a fire pit. Whatever kind that is. And trust God for the results. That's true humility. Humility abides in the light when arrogance shuns it. 
Humility believes the big picture and that God is in control, but arrogance doubts and questions it. We talked about overcoming darkness and how Jesus overcame darkness by abiding in the light exclusively. Of course, he was perfect and he was able not to sin. So exclusively, he overcame darkness by simply abiding in the light. Now that's different than the person like us, like all the rest of us, who split their time and energy and attention between wrestling with the darkness and abiding in the light. But faith implies letting go of the things we're struggling with. Faith implies letting go of that contest you're having with the darkness, you know, that you think you have to face and struggle against when he's just saying turn to the light by faith, right? And let it go. And that, and only then, is when God can deal with that situation. So if faith implies letting go, then so does humility. They're related. An arrogant person clings to the old things, the vestiges of sin and the old self. You know? what's, the way to, what's the way to defeat a sin in your life that's haunting you? It's not to go head-to-head with it. It's to turn to the light and to allow it to dissipate, to ask God to take it away and to just focus on the light. It's contrary what we want to do or our instincts in the flesh. Pastor mentioned Sunday how one of the issues today is that everybody's bored. An interesting statement. Um, Everybody's bored today, and it's because everyone's so used to being passively entertained today, being fed things through technology. And disciplining oneself to learn the Bible or to learn the Word of God seems boring because it's not flashy and exciting, right? Even though it's truth. But people want the quick fix. They want to be fed. They want to be fed. They want to sit there with their mouth open on the couch. Spoon feed me ice cream. Spoon feed me more garbage. Because you know what? I don't want to sit up. And that, <laughs> that image of a baby, if you will, is someone you know, hanging on to childish, childish things, right? Clinging to the ways of the world because they're easy sometimes. They just, they just give. I'll take whatever it is. I don't care what garbage it is. Just feed me. And I want lights while we're at it. Give me some lights. Give me some sound. Give me some HD extra super duper. I don't even know what they call it now. Whatever. But it's getting more and more high def, right? Let's get the next TV. Because it's more high def. There's more pixels per square inch. And then I can pretend I'm not living my life. I can live in that life. Right? Pretend. The kingdom of darkness has sucked so many of us in to an alternate reality because it's quote-unquote easy and it's easy to be entertained. And we have to be on guard that we don't get sucked into the vacuum, especially through all forms of technology that are thrown at us as the way of life. The world system is so designed in these last days to get people numb to eternal things, to not even think about it, and to pacify people with false hopes, false securities. The world system is feeding us garbage. People passively 
sit there again with their mouths open so they don't have to think about, I don't want to think about life as meaning. I know maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's real, maybe God's real, but I don't want to think about that right now. Just can I have my ice cream? Can I have my DVR so I can watch without commercials? Nonstop. I don't want to think about it. What is it? It's denial. Right? It's, I, don't, I don't want to face the truth. And that was this guy I spoke with today, older guy, basically saying, I don't want to face what might be true. We'll find out when we find out. Oof, if people knew what that meant, right? But we're told to be sober and alert. We need to stay on guard. Our adversary, the devil, prowls about seeking to devour people's souls, including believers, to take us captive in his world. We need to keep our nose in the word. Faith comes from hearing. We need to keep our nose in the word every day, somehow, some way, a little bit, because we're, we're destined to be deceived without it. As Pastor also said, you know, we need to live life a little bit and, and appreciate all the things God's given us. Stop and smell the roses. That's part of living in the word by faith. That's part of walking by faith. When you can stop in the middle of it all, and appreciate what's around you, maybe who's around you, and not get wrapped up in the lie. And also encourage others to do the same. Because you know what? You're going to have good days, and someone else is going to have a bad day. And it's going to switch next week. And you need the encouragement from that same person. Hebrews 3.13, in the Amplified, but continually encourage one another every day, as long as it's called today. And there is an opportunity so that none of you will be hardened into settled rebellion by the deceitfulness of sin, its cleverness, delusive glamour, and sophistication. A lot said there. But we're called as long as it's today. That's why I come to church today. Don't, don't, don't give in to that thing, I'll, I'll do it tomorrow. You know, don't make that a habit. Encourage each other as long as it's today. Show up, walk baby steps if you have to, to church or to the Word or opening your Bible, whatever. Because today might be the last day. And if you only worry about today, you don't have to worry about tomorrow. You know, glorify God today. He'll take care of tomorrow, as the Lord said. So, again, we need each other to stand firm in the faith, to encourage one another to be steadfast, and that this is not all for nothing. We need to keep walking forward by faith as members of the body for our own sakes and for the sake of others. Think about how God saw fit to give you another day this morning. You got out of bed. You were able to get out of bed. You were breathing. He didn't cut the cord of your heart. He didn't suffocate you in your sleep. It's a weird way to put it, I'm sorry. But he didn't take your breath last night, right? He didn't say, this is going to be your last breath. I'm taking you home. That's it. So every day we wake up like that is this grace gift that we don't appreciate. We don't appreciate. Who are we to even be alive another day? So again, it's about perspective. 
we saw overcoming darkness with faith and grace orientation. God shows us grace every day by simply waking us up and giving us the breath of life. And is it a struggle some days you get out of bed? Absolutely. Is your attitude wrong? Do you wake up on the wrong side of the bed? Yes. Maybe get back in and roll over to the other side. Get out. Right? I don't know. Whatever it takes. It's, it's uh, unavoidable that we wake up in bad mood sometimes. We wake up with some stupid thought in our head. Unavoidable. But count it for what it is. Another day to be alive that you don't deserve. One more chance to glorify God before it's all over. And he makes the accounting in heaven. And today might be one more day that he can't account to your, or credit to your record, if you will, that you did bring him glory. How do we do it? Simple. Count the grace he gave us today. Be thankful for baseline grace, as Pastor said. So simple. So I think whenever we complicate things, right, what's the message been? Go back to simple, right? Anytime we complicate things, anytime we start overthinking our day, go back to simple. Thank you for my breath. Thank you that I can still walk. And thank you that I have food in the house. You know, like stop and do that thing so that you realize who you really are and what you have in front of you. It's life. And life is taken for granted when it's a miracle. So count your senses Count whatever health you do have instead of looking at what you don't have. Count the faith you do have. I mean, you have a good conscience. You have Christ living inside of you. You can have an open relationship with him today. Every day you wake up, another day, you can have an open relationship with him where you don't have to hide things from him. Right? That's a grace gift. Even the mute and the lame can have that. And nothing can take that away from us. All these things are grace gifts granted to us each day, one day at a time. And I know a lot of you are going through trials right now. But obviously you shouldn't think you're alone. And that's one of the, another, another one of the great values about us coming together as a family. Because I don't know about you, but I look around here and I'm like, Wow. You know, look what she's doing. Look what he's doing. Look at how they're still going forward in the faith. And they're going through that. I could never handle that. Right? So we each have that peace and that portion of faith to share and to also take from others. And it's really powerful. But what do you have to do? You have to walk by faith. You actually have to come to church when you don't feel like it. To take advantage of that thing. To receive from God. You're not alone. So it's really encouraging. And put your own trials in perspective when you're able to see others. And maybe you just thank God for what you do have when you see others. Let's remember the big picture. Go to uh, 1 Peter 5.8. 1 Peter 5.8. Put your own trials in perspective and see God's big picture purpose for them. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him. How? 
being firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That's our destiny. That is the end result, verse 10. It's going to happen. So how about verse 8 and verse 9? Resist the devil by being firm in your faith, one day at a time. We walk by faith and not by sight. How about realizing what some believers around the world still experience today and being grateful for it? How about if you were a Christian right now living in a Muslim country that ISIS is traveling through? Would you be like the apostles in Acts 5, 41, 42? They went on their way from the presence of the council rejoicing. And by the way, they had just been whipped. Rejoicing that they'd been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. How's that for perspective? How about thanking God you're in America in a free country? How about thanking God that people don't have the ability to do whatever they want against you? You know, how about thanking God for his gentleness that he let you be born here instead of somewhere else where you go through these things? It's all perspective, isn't it? And every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. How encouraging is that? Your deliverance today is often only a matter of a perspective change. And it can be as simple as confessing doubt and turning back to faith. Resisting or denying the darkness, just turning to the light. Right? Faith's perspective, being persecuted for the name of Christ, is a reason for rejoicing. How many of you rejoice in your soul when you're persecuted at work? Right? Where's our, where's our big picture perspective? How come we're not, like, you know, transcending it all, just getting above it all and looking down at the situation like the angels are and, and recognize what's really going on? Say, wow. You know, I got persecuted today, and I think it might be because I'm a Christian because they don't like what I stand for. It may be indirect or direct. You might not know for sure, but guess what? You're in the devil's world, and things aren't going to go smoothly for us. But how about this perspective? Why aren't we we rejoicing when we're persecuted? This is true wisdom. If faith is stepping out, then wisdom is the destination. And if the destination is some kind of suffering or humiliation, hmm, pretty cool in the big picture. Pretty uh, meaningful in the divine scheme of things. And God doesn't forget a lick of it. It's not like God runs out of notepaper to write all the things down that happen. All right? I was thinking about this the other day. We, in our human perspective, we think things are too small for God to count. Or because no one else sees what we're going through, and when we act in faith, we're like, uh, he's not going to... Like, I know I do it. Like, this is a really small thing, Lord. But you know I'm doing it for the right reason. You know I'm not doing this thing. You know I'm turning to you for this thing. I'm resisting. I'm not doing this at work because... I know it's wrong. You think God does not account for that? You think he runs out? You think he's, he's, he's <laughs> got a limit to the list of things that he's going to count in heaven? Every little thing. What does the Bible say, right? 
The little things are important to God. Hmm. So it's a perspective change again. God is taking us to love. He's taking us to love. That's a part of our experiential righteousness. But how can we learn to love unless we step out by faith and experience life? I, I, I say it's not possible. We actually need to learn to love, to learn to live in God's love. Love is something to be lived after all, right? Both in our own soul, but also amongst people. We can say, for example, that we love our enemies all we want. I did that for years. And of course, you, you're, you know, it's okay. You're believing it. You're believing the word of God. Okay, I'm going to love my enemies. You don't know if you truly love your enemies until you get persecuted by them and then choose to love them or not. So experience is so valuable. That's why pastors have been using the phrase experiential sanctification. Experience is needed to sanctify us. We need to be refined by the fire at times to come out as gold. And you know what? He gives us all the power. It's like the, you know, three guys in the Old Testament there with Daniel walking into the furnace of fire. And the Lord was right there with them and protected them from it. We need to experience that or our faith isn't built up to the next level, the next place. So on the board... Life is meant to be experienced. Wisdom is gained through experience, not merely going to church. Mission implies the field, going out in the field, for example. That's life. And then consider our great commission with the Lord. It's all about going out with the things you've been given. Knowledge of the Word becomes wisdom when we apply it to life situations by faith. And that's the only way to gain true wisdom. Preparing for experience. For example, sanctification. There's simply no substitute for experience. No matter how intelligent a person may be, their wares must be put to the test in order to precipitate true wisdom. True wisdom. There's knowledge and there's wisdom. And as we learned Sunday, intellect is not the issue in walking by faith and pleasing the Lord. As we close, Pastor shared with you a conversation we had uh, last week. And, you know, he posed these questions to me. Um, the gospel is so simple and central to the Bible, right? I mean, the more and more we read the Bible, the more we see the gospel is the core of the whole thing. And it's dancing around that gospel every time. And then the second question was, why does man make things so complicated then if the gospel is so simple and pure? Why does he do it? And the food for thought to me was, on the board, creature credit antagonizes sanctification. Now don't read any further. Just look at the heading. Think about that statement. Creature credit antagonizes sanctification. It is the thing that gets in the way of God setting us apart for His purposes. That we want some type of creature credit. That we get in the way um, and we seek some kind of recognition or superiority or whatever it is. 
So now we can read the rest of it. In any and every circumstance in life, the flesh will always seek a superior position to its peers. That's what the flesh does. Everything's competition, whether it's verbalized or not. That same mentality is brought into the faith even. And this is the reason for artificial complexity in the spiritual life. Sanctification is not a competition. We need to stop doing that. The flesh loves it, but we need to turn from that. Let me ask you a few questions. Have you ever walked into a social setting and quickly assessed the people there to see how you measure up? And then you felt more or less secure by what you concluded? Nah, not me. I know, I know it's happened to everybody because that's the flesh, and we all got one. How about this one? Have you ever played a competitive game with others, and in the back of your mind, you're hoping you could hit the big shot so others see how good you are compared to them? Have you ever walked into a church, and I hope this doesn't happen here, I don't think it does, but people do it all the time. Have you ever walked into a church and measured those present for their dress or their smiles or their apparent spirituality to see how you compare or rank. Let me tell you something. That happens automatically when you're walking in the flesh. When you walk into a room or whatever those situations, it happens automatically when you're not filled with the Spirit. You do that subconsciously when you walk into a room. I know sometimes I catch myself. I'm like, why am I thinking that way? Why am I comparing myself to this guy and that guy? Why am I doing that? The flesh is wicked. So can you imagine if we can just drop that? Can you imagine? This is where God's taken us. He's taken us to a place of freedom, of a place walking by faith in purity and love. Can you imagine for a moment that if once we were saved, we no longer have these fleshly impulses, that we drop them completely and we just walk around um, What's the word? In a childlike happiness, maybe? Right? I mean, wouldn't life be simple and just pleasant and uncomplicated then? So let's recognize the flesh for what it is. Let's recognize how slippery it is and how it's sneaking in there every opportunity you can get to compete and compare, to to add some little, I just want a little bit of creature credit because, I, you know, I need some security. I need some false security. I'm insecure. And we all do it in some areas of our lives. So creature credit antagonizes sanctification. It is an evil, nasty little thing that we need to uh, drop and turn from. So man is the reason that the spiritual life seems complicated at times. Pastor talked about the purpose of artificial complexity. What's the purpose of it? Man wants sanctification to be complex because it affords the flesh a way to stratify itself. To be in the top half and not the bottom half. To be a little smarter than others so people ask me questions. That's what's going on when we do it the wrong way. That's creature credit. And we bring it into the church, unfortunately. But simplicity leaves no room for arrogance to strive. If we remain humble, 
God will show us this pure, simple truth and we'll be set free as He desires for us to be set free. Set free from the bondage that the flesh keeps putting us into every time we walk into a stinking room, every time we're confronted with a different person out of the blue. It surprises us, right? Isn't that when we're sometimes most vulnerable or tempted when we're not ready for it? So someone walks in the room or maybe two people come at you or you walk into a room and there's a bunch of people there you didn't want to see and now the test begins. Am I going to give in to the flesh and start comparing or am I going to be filled with the Spirit and say, I'm free. Hey, how you doing? I'm free. I don't care what you look like or act like or blah, 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 blah. I don't care what shoes you have on, ladies. Who, else, who knows what else the ladies use to compare, right? I mean, we all have our things. But stop comparing. It's a curse of the flesh. So we need to keep our eyes on the simple pearl called the gospel. It's our main focus. From faith to faith. From salvation to sanctification. The simplicity of our faith We've seen, again, there's only a small amount of central doctrine in Scripture, and it's the gospel, really. I totally believe that, too. I mean, just reading my Bible, reading my Bible, reading my Bible, it's like um, so just there in your face. Here's the issue. The rest of it describes accounts of defending or affirming attacks on the gospel. You know, it's uh, all dancing around the gospel. So why do we complicate it? Why don't we live in that truth that sets us free and walk by faith and not by sight? Think about Paul's fears for his students. What was his fear? That his students would complicate spiritual matters. We saw this in 2 Corinthians 11.3. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, there is a serpent again. The flesh. Think of the flesh. Your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Don't let it happen. Call it out for what it is. So the gospel and the spiritual life is meant to be as simple and pure as a pearl. There's nothing fancy or flashy about a pearl. It's not like gold or diamonds, all sparkly and shiny and rich-looking. It's just beautiful, though, and pure and simple. It's perfect. That's the gospel. As Jesus said in Matthew 13, 45 and 46, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. There's a picture of what goes on in the soul when saving faith takes place. He realizes, sees the truth and buys it, denying the garbage he's clinging to. But that's how simple it's meant to be, like a beautiful pearl. And if it's confusing, it's not from God. So may we never stray from the faith and the simplicity of the faith and the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads. 
Father, we thank you so much again for the privilege of going to your word, seeing what it says in humility. We thank you for the faith you've given us and the ability to hear and the ability to walk forward one step at a time by your power, not ours. Father, we ask that you help us take the good news of the gospel out to a lost and dying world that is confused and needs it so desperately. We ask you give us this power and give us more faith. It's in Christ's precious name we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.